this morning. We get to dive into the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter one, verses one to 11 here in just a moment. But as you're turning there, I wanna, one of the things I want to talk about is this idea of witness or witnesses. And that word can have maybe different connotations depending on maybe some of your church background. But it also gets used in different contexts. I don't know if you recall this or not. Um, perhaps if you track with basketball, you'll immediately tr- you know, know it. And some of you are like, I don't follow sports at all. But it, it was a chance you might have heard this, that several years ago, there's this brand called Nike, and they put some money into advertisement and marketing. Okay, just a little few dollars here and there. And they have these particular athletes that are signed to shoe deals. I've been trying to get a deal for years, but it hasn't happened. All right, and so they um, have contracted with various famous athletes, and one of them was a guy named LeBron James. And this was years ago. This is before he left Cleveland and then came back and then left again, all right? So um, this was in his earlier days. And they developed this whole campaign. Maybe you remember some of these advertisements. There literally was a 10-story poster of this image here up on a building in Cleveland. And all it declared is you have LeBron there looking up at the heavens, all right, engaged in worship, all right? And so there's LeBron and this declaration, we are all witnesses, And there was a very particular message, I believe, that was wanted to be communicated to to get across. And I think the idea was this. Maybe we could think about it in this way, that there's sort of a passive and there's an active sense of this. On the one hand, on a more passive spectator side, there's there's this invitation just to sit back and to marvel at his greatness, what a skilled basketball player he is, what he does on the court, and just to sit back, soak it in, and be like, that's amazing. Even if you hate the team that he plays for, you're just like, man, there's something special. Like, it's undeniable. And so there's this passive sort of watching. But as we know how marketing goes, the reality is we're invited into this. Nike was hoping that people would in turn become evangelists, not in a passive way, but in an active way, where then communication would begin to happen because we would have sat back and we would have watched something spectacular, but the next day, sort of the water cooler talk, so to speak, would have been like, did you see the game last night? Did you see the shot that he hit? Did you see him run down that guy for the 13th time and block him and just stand over him? Like, what's up now, right? Did you, did you witness that? Did you see the that spectacular thing happen. And there was this invitation, not only to sit back and watch, but then to declare to anybody who would listen, like, did you witness that? Did you see that? And now on a far grander scale of something of utmost significance, the book of Acts is our invitation, not just in a passive way, although that is part of it, that we would sit back and then we would marvel, not at a basketball player, but we would marvel at the God-man Jesus who's building his church, the one who declared the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. This is not a Jesus in some sort of a weak position just hoping the big bad world doesn't get to him or his church. So this is the church actively on the move, storming the gates of hell and saying, we're taking new ground for the kingdom to the power of the spirit. And so there's this sense where we get to sit back, we get to watch, but then there's also this witness side of it that is we don't not only witness Jesus, we get to be a witness. We get to bear witness to what Jesus is doing. We get to bear witness to the fact that he has rescued me. He's rescued you if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. We get to bear witness to how he's reconciling relationships and marriages. We get to bear witness to how God is at work bringing about justice in the places where there's injustice and tragedy and difficulty. We get to bear witness about how there is difficulty in life and suffering is terrible and there's a brokenness in the world and yet there's a joy and there's a confidence 
and there's worship that still takes place in all that, like we get to bear witness together. And so the invitation for this series is that we would be witnesses. Yes, we get to look and see how Jesus is still at work, but then we get to tell people. We get to bear witness. And so this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in the first 11 verses. And again, if you, you know, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's some paperback ones in the back tables. You can grab one of those, turn to page 1006, and you'll find it there. Take that Bible home with you if you don't have one or you've got some translation that's difficult to make sense of. Uh, we'd love to just give you that. We want to study God's word. It's a, just a huge passion for us. And then additionally, you can go to cpwp.life on your phone right now. Swipe over. You see a card that says message notes. Anything that is up on the, the screen here uh, will be there as well. Space for you to, to take notes. And so I want to go ahead and read this. Would you stand as I read God's word this morning? I'll read these first 11 verses as we get into this great book. And we'll see there, it's entitled The Acts of the Apostles. And yet, there's a better name as we'll unpack that here in in a moment, all right? Beginning in verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse four, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six, and so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So anytime we get into a brand new book of the Bible, and it's our regular practice to preach through, to teach through, to journey together through books of the Bible here at Crosspoint, uh, it's helpful to just sort of start out and say, okay, what are, the, what are the opening words, opening lines? Like, what do they teach? What's the kind of trajectory that's being set here? What's the, the purpose here that is being communicated? And so right away, we learn a couple of things that will be helpful for us to know as we journey through this, this book together. And so it starts out, and it says, in the first book, So apparently this is the follow-up, like, you know, this is the sequel, like there was a first book. And what we know about the book of Acts is that it was written by a man named Luke, right? And so in the Gospels, the Gospel accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? That's named after him. Luke is the one who wrote that, and he sat down because he had a good friend, not only for the benefit of other people, and God was inspiring him through the Holy Spirit to write this for our benefit here this morning, But he also had a very particular friend in mind, this man named Theophilus. And so Luke sat down to to record, to write down all about Jesus' life, to give this biography of who Jesus was, like his life, death, resurrection, and ultimately his ascension back up into heaven. And now 
he's writing kind of part two of this volume. And so he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he cares enough about this friend. He's like, hey, there's more to this story. We're gonna talk about how this story continues here in just a moment. But I would invite you in this series, we gotta think of ourselves in a couple of ways. On the one hand, Theophilus is one who receives instruction. And so I'd encourage you, like, see yourself as somebody. I need to see myself as somebody that receives instruction, that God's word is molding me, it's shaping me, it's teaching me. I do not know everything that there is to, about the book of Acts. I'm not up here with the headset mic on the stage because, you know, I'm the resident expert on Acts and I know it all and you guys just need to sit at my feet and listen. No, no, like, we're all being instructed, So we need to see ourselves, we have that posture as Theophilus. Whether you're completely new to the church, like I have no idea what's happening. I just came to work out and thought the Y was open, right? If that's like where you're at, or on the other end of things, you're like, I've been walking with Jesus all my life, studied the scriptures, like I love his word. There's still this posture that we should have as Theophilus. Hey, I'm gonna receive from the Lord. But along that, in this call to bear witness, I love Luke here. He's like, man, I'm gonna take the time to detail for my friend about the most important things. He can't help but talk about Jesus. And so he would even sit down and and write these things out. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean you gotta sit down and write all this stuff out, but what is it gonna look like for you and me to engage with people, to find those people in our life that, that want to grow in their knowledge of God, that we might have conversations with them, that we might walk with them, that we might be discipled together in these sort of relationships? Do you see yourself as both Theophilus and Luke? All right, that's the invitation that this book gives us. And then what we find, uh, this language here, he says, I've dealt with, so in my first book, he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The language here is this, and this is what is so beautiful and so profound and so just amazing about Jesus. Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, is about all that Jesus began But it's not like end of story, and now it's the story of the church. I told you in many ways, you know, in the inspired word of God is not the titles you see here. These were added later on, okay? So if I'm critiquing the title of a book, it's like, oh my goodness, he's gonna get struck down right now. Like, that's not it. The word of God is is holy, it's inerrant, it's inspired, all, all that. But these little, you know, we added verse numbers and all those things, and like the acts of the apostles, yes, that's true, but it it misses something significant. It's ultimately a story of the acts of Jesus working through his church empowered by the Spirit. But that's a little bit longer title, right? Um, But we need to see it. This is not, well, Luke was about Jesus, and now this is about the church. It certainly details a lot of things about the church, but this is all that he began to do. It means that Jesus' work is continuing. And this, this, my friends, is what separates Jesus from all other religious teachers, those that espouse a particular worldview, a a way of life, a religious belief system, they all have a clear point in time where like that person died and now we've recorded their things. We might still talk about them, but Jesus is continuing to work. Look at what John Stott said. I'll read you this this quote. It'll be up on the, the screen. Talking about this, just this introduction. He says, Luke's first two verses are therefore extremely significant. It is no exaggeration to say that they set Christianity apart from all other religions. These, meaning other religions, regard their founder as having completed his ministry during his lifetime. You study other world religions, you'll see that that's true. There there was a religious leader, there was some figure, all right, somebody important, and yet they died and that was the end of the, the story. But Luke says Jesus only began his. 
The fact that you and I are here this morning is because Jesus is still at work. Jesus is building his church. This is not a lesson in history, though it includes history. This is an invitation to experience his work here and now, to be empowered by the Spirit. And so he says, this then is the kind of Jesus we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives, that he is present here with us, that he is wooed you, he has drawn you, he has brought you here. Nobody is here by accident this morning. Jesus is alive. And so what we see then is the purpose in this book is to tell the story about how Jesus is still at work and how he uses us as the church. But if we look at this in any way, it's like, okay, well, the gospels, that's about Jesus, and now we get to talk about us and what we're to do. We've already missed it. We've set off on the wrong trajectory. This is a historical account of how Jesus has been working through his church, is working, and will continue to work through his church, empowered by the Spirit. And so because Jesus knows where this story is heading, he knows that he's going to ascend, he knows that the chosen means by which people are going to meet Jesus, that the kingdom is going to take new ground, he knows it's going to be through the church, like him working through the church actively at work. This is why the scriptures, think about this, this is why they call us the body of Christ, it's still Jesus working. You and I just get, we get to play. Like we get to participate. Like if we're sitting on the sidelines, like we are missing out on what God has for us. Jesus wants to work in and through you. If you're like, well, yeah, but I don't know if I have the talent or the skill. It doesn't matter. Like he has chosen you. He's invited you in. He's like, I'm waiting for you to get in the game. And so, like he did for his disciples, we'll see here in these next few verses, there's this preparation that happened. And it's preparation like we continue to need, like we need to be instructed. And so look with me at verses 3 to 5. I'll read these again. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. So if you know the story of Jesus, he's crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead. But he didn't just rise from the dead and go up up into heaven. Like There was these appearances, and Luke is the one that tells us that it was 40 days. So after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days... And speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And there's all sorts of aspects. Let me put three up here. Like we could spend entire sermons on just each one of these here. All right, we don't have time for that. But look at how he's trying to prepare them. For one, he's appearing to them. The resurrection actually happened. If it didn't happen, like literally, we should pack up. This is just an exercise in futility and nonsense. This is the weirdest thing in the world. Unless, of course, the resurrection is true and we're proclaiming that reality. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, Paul says, he's talking about the appearances of Jesus. And he said, then he appeared to like 500 brothers, many of whom are still alive. It's this invitation, like, go talk with people. Now, I know we're a couple thousand years removed from that. And so you're like, well, great, they had proof. We get, they got the same, but what about, what about us? But a couple of things we have to understand in this. Sometimes we look back and we're like, oh, well, those people, they probably would just believe anything back then. No, no. They don't have that sort of chronological snobbery. 
Like it was difficult for them to believe as well. The Jews expected a resurrection at the end of the age and by all people. The thought of like one man rising in the middle of history, like that's something unheard of, unexpected, didn't have any categories for that. This was not easy for them to believe. Go read Luke chapter 24, his account of the resurrection, sort of part one, right? Luke, then we got Acts. And in Luke 24, guess who are the first people there to see the empty tomb? It's a group of women. If you're making this stuff up, you don't pick women to be the eyewitnesses because no one would believe them culturally at that time. Their testimony wasn't considered valid. It would have been dismissed. If you're trying to make this whole thing up, if you're willing to die for this lie, right? Like none of these things compute, unless of course it's actually true. Like there were women that were the first witnesses and the tomb was empty and Jesus did appear for 40 days and he taught them. And guess what he taught them about? He taught them about the kingdom of God. He taught them about the fact that God was the one who rules and reigns, that our invitation is to submit to his rule and reign, and in so doing, we actually find life. We'll look in just a couple of verses where the disciples even continue to struggle with this. And I hope you're encouraged them because we continue to struggle with this. The narrative today is the kingdom of self. And we want to see people move from this worship of self, the kingdom of self, to move to like this glad submission under the rule and reign of King Jesus, the kingdom of God, and we get to play our part. And then Jesus says, listen, though, part of the instruction, I need you to wait because you might be full of enthusiasm and excitement and let's go, Jesus is raised from the dead, but you can't do this in your own strength. There is nothing about people moving from death to life, people submitting to Jesus that like we can conjure up. We can't yell at people enough or persuade them enough or just give them enough books. To, like we can't do it on our own. God is sovereign, all of that. And he's saying, you need the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so just wait. I'm gonna bring the Spirit. The Spirit is gonna come. And it's so crazy that Jesus would even say, you know what, I know you love hanging out with me, but it is better that I leave because there's more work to be done. And the church, like where Jesus because he was fully man, he was in one place, one time like that, like now the church can begin to spread out, that the message can go forth in these exponential ways, but he's like, you gotta wait. And so we see this purpose and we, we see Jesus preparing and it's preparation that, that we need. Are you resting and trusting in the work of the Spirit? The Spirit is the one that brings power. Do you have a confidence in the resurrection? Have you submitted yourself to the king of kings and lord of lords? Or have you simply operated on a principle of like, my life is going pretty well, but I, I want a little Jesus sprinkled in here or there just to make it better. Like it's just this thing you attach or some sort of gadget you might take with you. No, no, there's a call to submit. And so we see this, look with me in verses six to seven, these early disciples, they're hearing all this, they're getting to be taught by Jesus himself, and yet they still have this tendency to miss it, which comes back to the fact that the only hero in the Bible is Jesus. It's not the disciples. If there's any part of you that's like, oh, finally we're in the book of Acts because we gotta see how the early church did it, man. If we could be like the early church, really? Like, seriously, go, this is why Paul writes letters, all right, because he's gotta constantly rebuke the early church. 
amazing things happen in the early church. We're gonna talk about some of that. But there's also this like, no, dude, you can't get drunk on the communion wine. Stop it, right? Like there's real issues that, that are going on. You got people that doubt. You got, you got people that are like, ooh, I see some of this, this power at work. I want a little bit of that. Thinking that they can just add this to like kind of further their name and God will have none of it. And so look, with me at verses six to seven. So the disciples, they hear all this. So they, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Right away, what ends up happening? They're hearing this, they're being instructed. And this is a group of people, you have to remember, they are living under a wicked kingdom. The Romans are in power. The Romans have occupied their land the place that was this promised land, the place that there's this people of God that had been given this particular place and they look around and they look around and they see like people desecrating that, that people see people abusing just like their, their beliefs, all of these, these things. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, are we finally going to get rid of this regime? What Jesus is doing here, the fact that he takes the conversation in a new way is a way of showing them they really, they, what their mission is, is is pretty myopic. Like, it's very nearsighted. They're not seeing the fuller picture. They are not seeing all that God is doing. He's like, really? Like, you think this is limited to, to one particular people group on one little plot of land that borders the Mediterranean Sea? Like, are you, are you really thinking that that is my ultimate aim and objective in this world? Not to dismiss that, but do you, do you think that that is actually ultimate? He's like, you guys, you don't get it. I'm doing something powerful and new in this world. My kingdom is expanding. I love the way R.C. Sproul talks about it in his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, the theme of Acts is this, the church's obedience to Christ's commission and commandment to be his witnesses as the ascended king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And if you wonder why the first century church turned the world upside down and why we do not, it is because they preach the kingdom of God and we do not. Time and time and time again, what is preached? I'm not just talking from pulpits, though it includes that. But what is out there in the world under the name of Christianity is simply nothing more oftentimes than just self-help. It's promoting the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God. And so what these early disciples have fallen into is very myopic sort of make, like, it's ultimately like, hey, will you make this life better for me right here and right now? And Jesus is saying, I've got something so much better and so much grander for you, but don't just focus on the here and now. How many of us are guilty of the same thing? We might not be praying like, hey, we need the Romans out. Like, that's not our issue. But how many of us are consumed by the good things even of this world and we've made those things ultimate? And God is calling us to lay those things aside, not to get rid of them. He's not calling you to get rid of relationships and get rid of your job and do that. He, he's calling you to say, hey, realize those are good gifts from me, but how do you use those things to bear witness about my reality? What would your job look like if you were submitted to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords? What would your neighborhood look like, your relationships, all of these things? And so then he tells them what his plan is. Look at Acts 1.8. Probably the most famous verse in this section. It is the verse that literally sort of gives the table of contents of how the book of Acts is going to play out. And so Jesus says, but, so he's bringing them out of this sort of myopic mission and this, this, where they're just nearsighted. He's like, listen, but you 
will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So just wait for it, and you will be my witnesses. Starting, he says, in Jerusalem, there's these concentric circles, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, and it's this word that we've looked at before, the word that is used there is where we get the word dynamite from. It's this, this dunamis, all right? It's this invitation that there's power here. Like, if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has actually taken up residence inside of you. And so you might feel weak and all that and circumstance. Yes, we feel that, but at the end of the day, like, there's this power that is at work in us. And it's this power of God. And so he says, you will receive power. And this isn't just for the people a couple thousand years ago. Like you are a spirit-empowered follower of Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to use you. And there's this dynamite, there's this power that is gonna blow things up in a beautifully redemptive way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to use us individually and collectively as the church? And he says, and you'll be my witnesses. And when they would have heard heard this, like we maybe have heard it so many times, the shock value isn't sort of there. They would have looked and been like, okay, cool, yeah, Jerusalem, we get that. They've just been asking about things and they're, they're local, right? They're all about the local movement, all right? They would have gotten that. Oh, but now out to Judea, we're, we're moving away from this central spot? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Samaria? Those half-breeds? Those wicked people that the Jews would literally, even though it was the most convenient thing, a straight line to walk through their, their portion of the world, their part of the land, like they would go all the way around just to avoid. Like you're saying these people somehow are in on this? And then to the end of the earth, which is just the way of saying like all the non-Jews, all the Gentiles, this is going forward to them in the power of the Spirit. You're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna call people to submit to me as king. So I want to ask you, what unexpected place or person is God calling you to? Can you do me a favor? Whether you input this in your phone right now, or you write it in the margins of your Bible, you write it on your hand, I don't care how, what, like, answer this question, not just theoretically, but during the fall here, as we journey through this book, ask the Lord, you might already know the answer to this. The Lord has put it on my heart, there's this, this person that I, know, I need to talk to them about Jesus. I need to invite them to be in a group with me. I need to invite them to study the Bible. I need to invite them to, to church. What unexpected place? Maybe it's just like I, I got to bear witness in, in my workplace. And there's, we can talk about ways that that can look. You don't have to go in there tomorrow and you know, stand on the desk and say, turn or burn. Like that is, I would not recommend that, right? But at the same time, we need to talk about the realities of the rule and reign of King Jesus. One unexpected place or person would, so I would encourage, like, please today, like, write that down. Share that with somebody. Hey, we'd be praying with me, praying for me as I pray for the, this person. I love what Kent Hughes says this, talking about the mission. He says, to be a witness, we must have logos, which is the word of Christ. We need the word of God. It is living and is active. We, we study the word. We submit to the word. This is the, the word that was given to us by Jesus himself. We need the word. But he also says the ethos, the inner reality of what we proclaim. We can't be going out and bearing witness about the reality and the transformation and how amazing Jesus is if we're not experiencing that in like our inner reality. Now, I get that some days are gonna feel different than others, but, but you can't 
Go sell to people something you're not smoking yourself, right? Like you can't go out there and be like, oh, I gotta talk to you about Jesus and you don't know the risen Christ. Logos, ethos, and then it says this. The inner reality of what we proclaim, empathos, which is this passion. And I think here's a place where sometimes we get hung up. It's like, oh, I don't know, I just don't know if I have the passion or maybe you compare yourself to somebody else. And one of the things I think that the book of Acts invites us into, passion can look a lot of different ways, okay? There's this relentless, like this commitment. You may not be a loud, boisterous, that's totally fine. I don't think that makes you less passionate. Might just make you less obnoxious, right? Like, I don't know. Um, But here's the invitation that there's this, we need though this passion, And I would put before you that one of the things, myself included, is that we need to train ourselves for this passion. Can can I give you an example? In a couple weeks from now, I will look like a crazy person on multiple occasions, more so than I do now. You want to know why? Because I have trained myself week after week, year after year, when football season rolls around, I will become passionate about Michigan football. And I will yell at the TV, all right? The dog will literally go and hide and be like, "Uh uh-oh, it's football season, right? Like, he'll get all stressed out. He's got all this anxiety. Like, this, this will happen, not saying it's always the, the, you know, my, my you know, most shining moments. I'm just telling you, like, there is this passion. Now, that has happened. You're like, was I born the, that way? Well, if that's the case, then how come, you know, everybody's born. Like, how come you're all not Michigan fans, right? Like, there's this particular, I invite you if you want to join in with the losers. It's great. But anyway, um, there's this invitation here. And, and so what we do, we literally have these practices, these habits, you could say liturgies. There's all these things that, that form us and shape us. And I'm not even knocking that. Like, I'm super excited for college football. Love it. At the same time, we're talking about what ultimately matters. And like what sort of practices and habits and liturgies, like what things are you engaging in? These things will grow your passion for Jesus. But there's got to be a commitment to it. Like, I don't have time for commitment. Let, let's be honest. We commit to all sorts of things and we follow through. And what ultimately matters sometimes gets pushed by the wayside. And so what will it look like? So what I want to do here as we wrap up, um, I want to in, invite a friend up here to share about their passion for the gospel going out to the end of the earth. The gospel going into new places. And so um, this is Lyndon. If you guys will welcome Lyndon as he comes up here. So great to see you, man. Um, Some of you are like, hey, that guy looks familiar. Um, If you've been around Crosspoint for (laughs) a while. (laughs) No, no, we are so glad you're here. But uh, Lyndon, his wife Gemma, they got two beautiful girls. There'll be opportunity to interact with them. Um, uh, After the service, he was like, uh, flew in. He's like, hey, here, there's Jeremiah's this week. So he picked a good week uh, to be here. But in all seriousness, Lyndon and his wife Gemma were part of Crosspoint. And when there's about 25 of us meeting on a, on a Sunday night, they helped serve and lead and just build this church. We're part of things from, the, from early on. And it is our great joy that we get to partner with them as a church. Like when you give money, one of the things you're like, hey, where does, where does that go? Like one of the works of witness, of mission that you're supporting is him and his family that are in Central Asia doing God's work there. So I wanna just ask Lyndon a few questions this morning. So you hear some stories about how God is at work in very different places. And you might not have a calling to go to other parts of the world, but you have a calling to your neighbor and you have a calling to pray for the nations. All right, and so Lyndon, if you would, again, thanks so much for for being here. Um, Just give people a bit of just sort of just 
context. Where are you, you know, where you guys are ministering, how long you've been there, what you're seeking to be about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for your support and prayers. We, we couldn't do what we were called to do without that. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we're in a uh, uh, Central Asia. It's a Muslim context. And uh, we've been there two years. And uh, thankfully, our, our team leader's been there 10. So he's been working with a church. So we're actually partnered with a church there, a gospel-centered church that believes these things, that's standing on God's word. And, and like you said, the work that we're trying to do is impossible. There's no way that Jesus would ever be exalted and glorified in this country if it wasn't for the power of his spirit, the verse that you're even preaching on right now. It would be impossible. It would be impossible for even you to be witnesses, to see God change people's lives that we're, we're able to see even there. And so we're, we've been there two years, and we're excited. We have, we have two ordained pastors at this church, 30 members, and six, 60 regular attenders. Wow. And so God is doing a great work there uh, that we're, we're tremendously uh, just proud to be a part of working with yeah. this group of these national church there. So. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. One other thing that I, um, if, if you've heard, you're like, hey, well, tell me more specifically. After the service, you got more specific. But there's a generality here, even speaking of where he's located, where they are located, because there's actual real threats. When we talk about like, oh, persecution, it's like, oh, my neighbor didn't like my Facebook post. Like, we're talking something probably a bit more severe here. So one thing, too, that I should have said on the front end, um, if you would like, if you're like, oh, I love what they're saying, I'm gonna snap a picture and post that on Instagram, <laughs> please don't do that. Don't do that. Um, there actually are real risks given where they're at. And after the service, they would more, be more than willing to share more specifics uh, with you. But hey man, I'd love to hear then too, just, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we could talk for a long, long time, yeah. but just an example. What's something that you guys are celebrating right now? Maybe something where you've seen God's spirit at, at work? Yeah. One, uh, you know, two things I would say that we really are celebrating. One is just, when we got to this church, uh, there were hardly, there were no college students whatsoever. It was definitely a fairly older church, which were great to have the wisdom in that room, but there were no college students. Now, almost two years later, we have a large group of college students that God has brought into our church. A number of them have come to faith, uh, and it's, it's awesome to see that. And they're wrestling, they're struggling. I mean, they're not, some of them are not telling their family just because of how big a deal it is to, to share that they become a Christian in this culture and context. And so we're really celebrating what God's doing, raising up some of those leaders. And some of the young, we have some young professionals that God has brought in, and some young leaders that God is raising up that we'll, we think will be a part of even church planting into the future. That's so amazing. we are praising God yeah, for that. Yeah, that's a huge answer for that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that there's always, you know, obviously there's more work to do, and I'm turning out everything is just like, hey, we're just winning all the time. Uh, we're, everything's great. <laughs> right, like, what's, right. what's a particular, you know, uh, a struggle or challenge uh, that would help us even know how to pray for you guys? Yeah, just pray. I mean, you know, just resistance to the gospel. I mean, as you would probably think, uh, there is some general openness to talk about Jesus. They, Jesus is a prophet. They like him. <laughs> mm. But just even understand who he is, there is some openness to talk about those things, but there is a heavy resistance of following Christ, becoming a Christian, and there can be backlash from, from family, from the culture, from their community, uh, even, even from the government. And so, uh, so there can be a real difficulty there as we're trying to move in that direction. Some people are just, hey, we become a Christian. We don't really want to try to live this out too much. We don't mm-hmm. want to share with our neighbors or our family. We don't, you know, we don't want to lose jobs over this. And so we can even struggle with that over there as well. And so just pray for the church that they would 
uh, grow in that, and that they would grow to, to be bold and yeah. to share Christ and have a love for their families and for their neighbors and yeah. to, to share that and, and uh, overcome that. So pray for the church. Pray for it to grow. Pray for, I mean, like I, uh, I don't know if I said this earlier, but this is a fraction of 1% that are Christian there. Mm. I mean, it, it is, there is a major need to see Christians born and raised up, uh, to see missionaries sent. And so uh, it's a big deal. So please pray for that. Please pray for the yeah. church. Absolutely. Um, and the more even, um, we definitely will do that. And then anything specific, um, even just for, for your, you know, Personal, your own yeah. family and what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. we can pray for with you guys. Yeah, just, I would pray for us. I mean, we're learning language, you know, I'm from Georgia. I barely learned English, you know, so, um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to learn another language. So I, even, they're, they're gracious people. They're very hospitable people, very kind people. Uh, that, we're, that, uh, that we're going to. It's a Turkic people group, by the way. And so they are hospitable and kind. And so they, they, they work with me. They let okay. me speak their language and they smile and laugh at me. And they, okay, okay, I'll work with you. So just, but pray for us. We, we have progressed in the language. And uh, so pray for us in that, uh, that we continue to go. We're trying to grow in, in understanding their culture and language. I mean, just imagine, you know, you're going to place, imagine if you know, missionaries that were Muslim came here and were trying to convert you. How, how hard would that be? <laughs> I mean, that's what we're essentially doing, except we stand on the truth and the word of God and on Christ. Uh, And so you can understand the difficulty there. So pray for that, but also pray for our visa. Uh, This is a closed country. We're not allowed to have missionary or humanitarian visas. And so those are never automatic. You know, a number of of missionaries have been denied visas and had to leave the country. So we're in the midst of renewing our visa uh, and we need to leave, we need to have it by September 11th. So if you could pray for that, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, we absolutely will. All right, man. And maybe... um, yeah, one, one last, last thing is people, if they want to learn more, they want to connect with you guys, your, your story, um, I know mm-hmm. there's opportunities to, to pray for, financially support. I mean, there's a lot of different yeah, ways people can, yeah. can play a part. Um, I know you guys can be here after the service, but yeah, yeah, what would you recommend if people are looking to connect more? Yeah, please uh, sign up for our newsletter. We send out an electronic newsletter, um, and so we would love to send that out and just keep up with what we're, going, what we're doing, how to pray for us. Uh, grab one of our prayer cards and throw it on your fridge, and every time you go get milk, pray for the church there and pray for us. We'd really appreciate that. Um, also, uh, on our prayer card is an account number. If you do, hey, say, I want our support and get behind this, please. Uh, you can use that account number uh, to support us. And I can tell you probably more specifically if you are interested, come to me and I can tell you a little more how to do that because yeah. our faces on our website are not there. Not, our names are not there. So it's just an account number. So people are like, I can't find you. Right, right. Uh, so, You've been reduced to a number. Yeah, yes. we're, okay. we're just yes. a number. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, come and we have stuff out there, uh, some resources and things, and we'd love to talk okay. to you more about that, yeah, so. so after the, you know, at the conclusion of the service, they'll be out in the lobby there. Um, and so we want to continue to pray for, I'd love to pray for you guys uh, uh, right now. And so uh, is Gemma in here as well? He's back there. You want to, c- come on up. Come on. I know. Let's hear for Gemma. Come on. Yes. So this was uh, not part of the plan that we'd agreed to. I know. I'm sorry. I just want to pray for you guys. So thankful for yeah. you all and your, your work, your faithfulness in following Jesus. I know this is not... Uh, easy thing, um, but we're so encouraged. Um, and so let's, uh, let's pray for them. Um, if you feel comfortable to do so as I, as I pray, maybe just to, to raise your arm out as we just pray blessing um, over them. Mm-hmm. So Father, we thank you for Lyndon and Gemma and for their family. Um, God, we thank you for the part of the world that you've called them to. Um, God, we thank you that your spirit is with them, that these words that we've been reading and studying together this morning, they are still true, that the power of the gospel is at work, that the spirit is at 
network, that the word of God is living and active. And though there's hostility um, at times and that there's a resistance, God, we know that um, that, that is not powerful enough to, to withstand your church advancing. And so we thank you for the work that you've begun to do there. We thank you for um, the, the college students and the, the younger crowd even that, that you're gathering. I pray, God, that there would be uh, a great discipleship culture that, that is there and um, people mentoring some of the, those newer in the faith. God, we pray that that would flourish and continue. Um, God, we would pray against the work of the enemy that wants to keep people in, in the lies and not understanding the, the truth, the suppressing the truth. God, would you awaken them uh, to your glorious gospel? And God, would you use Lyndon and Gemma uh, in that? God, would you um, equip them and would you encourage them? Um, God, would you um, work out the specifics as they, they raise funds, as they work on getting their visa before so that they can go back? And God, I pray that uh, all those details uh, would come together. And God, that you would provide for them uh, as a family, that they wouldn't be discouraged, that they would know that there's a family back here that loves them, that cares for them. Um, and God, would they just feel your presence every single day? Uh, would you encourage them in this work? Um, God, we, we thank you. Uh, we pray that we would learn uh, from them, God, uh, that they are on the front lines of, of mission. Um, God, they're seeking to bring the gospel, to bear witness. And so, God, build your church. Thank you that you have been so faithful to do that and pray that you would do it in this particular locale, in this context. God, I pray that the next time we connect uh, with this family, that they would have even more stories of this person met Jesus and this person's coming to church and this person's getting discipled. And um, God, we would celebrate those things, but sustain them during the times, God, where certainly um, they may not always see a lot of fruit, um, but God, they are being faithful to you. You control the growth, you control the fruit. You've called them to be a faithful witness and so encourage them in that we pray in Jesus good name amen amen oh, so love you guys yeah. so thank you so much for sharing Thanks. so yeah. thank you Thanks so much thank you guys yeah. all right remember after the the service they will be uh, available um if they're not getting ice cream okay so um let's let's do this um you know, pastors are like, hey, as we wrap up, I still, I got a couple more things to say, all right? So, um, but it will be quick. All I wanna do is read these last two verses. Look how this concludes. There's this departure, there's this parting that takes place. And when he had said these things, verse nine, as they were looking on, it says, he, Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Like there's this immediate rebuke that has to happen because they're just kind of standing there like, oh. They're like, I don't know. Like there's a mission. There's a calling. You're not, don't just stand there and like, oh, I wonder when Jesus is coming back and like kind of twiddle your thumbs. I wonder if this was being written today. Maybe our thing is not so much, oh, we were standing looking up. We were just looking down all the time. Like maybe that's our thing, right? But there's these distractions that, that keep us from this mission. And what I want you to see is this. There's this detail that we're given in the first account of Theophilus. In the first account, in the Gospel of Luke, the ascension of Jesus is spoken of. And I believe if we see this picture in Luke 24, I'll put the words up on the screen in just a moment, it will fuel us It'll motivate us toward this mission to be witnesses. Luke 24, 50 to 51 says this. And so he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, it says that he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This detail is fascinating. 
Jesus gathers them and he's about to be lifted up and he speaks, he raises his arms and he speaks this blessing over them. I imagine him telling them, you belong, you can do this, I'm with you, I care for you. There's stories that we will tell one day when I come back and we're reunited and we tell about the ways that the church has advanced, like, oh my goodness. And his arms are up and he's blessing them. There's a tendency, I think, in the human heart to feel guilted when we hear about bearing witness. I'm not doing enough and I'm not doing this. I want us to see throughout this book of Acts, as we live this Christian life and as we seek to bear witness, God is not disgruntled with you. Jesus isn't like, oh my goodness, like I, I teed that up from they missed again, swinging them at like, picture it this way. He's speaking words of blessing. The last image in the disciples, mind, like what they would have seen, they would have heard blessing, they would have seen the hands extended. Is that how you picture Jesus? And the reason Jesus can speak a blessing over us and not cursing is because he became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That means everything, all the ways that we should have been punished, our desire to be God, our myopic sort of mission of I wanna be like God, he went to the cross for that. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus was hung up on that tree to bear the curse and the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, so that now in turn, he can speak a word of blessing over us that he can invite us into his mission, that he can say, you can go bear witness and invite other people to participate in this and to actually find life. And so as the worship team comes back up, let's take a couple of minutes to respond and to reflect. And so I would encourage you in these ways, we take some time, confess your need. Let's confess our need of Jesus in silent prayer for a moment. Let's celebrate our salvation that we have in Jesus. We'll do that together through the Lord's Supper, through communion where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And I would ask you very practically, let's commit to his mission. Like we get to be part of this. Jesus is speaking blessing over us and inviting us in. So let me pray. We'll give you a couple moments here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great account that we have in Acts of Jesus, how you have built and are building and will continue to build your church. We thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing here in this locale. God, we thank you for the ways that you're at work around the world, for the story we just, and stories we just heard a few moments ago. God, we pray that your church would go forward. We pray that the, the kingdom of light would advance against the kingdom of darkness. We pray specifically like today, like that new ground would be taken for your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us into repentance, to confession, that you would remind us again of the truths of the gospel, and that we would be a church that is committed to following you. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.